Would you take your Bibles out and turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where we start our brand new series this morning. I want to read it for you, read it with you, Ephesians chapter 3, all right? So get a moment for you to get your Bibles open, and um, we're going to look at the first nine verses. Here's what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. I am excited about our new series called No Limits where you are going to be challenged to live extreme for God. Now, how many of you have ever been part of some kind of extreme sport or event? Let me see your hands, all right? How many of you never want to be a part of an extreme sport or event? All right, you and I are together. But you know, some people, like my wife Marcia, seen here skydiving over the great state of Texas, just seem to have a reservoir of courage and power to push the envelope and do things that, well, people like me dream about doing but are just afraid to do. And I want to challenge you to discover within you a capacity to do some things that you never thought you'd be able to do, but God has given you that capacity. And we're using extreme sports over the next four weeks to kind of kind of vicariously catch the rush and the thrill of, of what it means to step out on the edge. And so we challenged three of our creative staff members to go and do something kind of edgy. And we want to share what they did with you over the next uh, several weeks. And our first volunteer is Jeremy. That's why I stayed up here. And uh, Jeremy, I, I want to thank you for volunteering to be a part of this experience. You volunteered, right? No. No? <clears throat> Were you coerced? Were you threatened? Were you deceived? I was slightly deceived by my coworkers. Slightly deceived slightly by your coworkers. Deceived. Wow. I had nothing to do with it. All right? right. Just want you to know that. I honestly gotcha. didn't have anything to do with it. But uh, uh, what they led you to eventually do, and, and you did choose eventually to do this, uh, had to do with defying gravity, which, you know, most extreme sports have something to do with gravity. And uh, are you afraid of heights? You know, Dale, I've been thinking about that this week. I am... Um, I grew up in Texas. I've been cliff diving in uh, Austin, Texas. I've uh, been rock climbing up in the great state of California near Yosemite. Um, I've also been skiing all, all over North America and also Japan. So I, I thought that heights were nothing for me. Yes, but on this event, it was a little intimidating? A little different. Okay, well, let's see what they had you do, all right? Let's watch the video. Hi, I'm Jeremy Acton from EFCN, and I'm about to bungee jump for the first time in my life, and I can't feel my feet. Okay, <laughs> so go right when you say go. And then how am I getting off? You got it. I don't think so. 
Okay. Like this? Yep, I'm straight out in front of you. Oh my god. I'm straight out. Okay, ready to go? I don't think so. Wow. All right. So we're going to come back at the end of the message and see what happened. If you actually went, if you backed down, or if you screamed like a baby on the way down. All right. Well, so we'll, we'll find out in just a minute, okay, how, how you do with that. Now, some of you are out there thinking to yourself, are you trying to get me to, to jump out of a plane or, to, or to, you know, to bungee jump? No, I'm not trying to get you to do that. But I am here to challenge you to look within and realize that God has given you and has given me, if we're his followers, the capacity to do things that we would never dreamed we could possibly do. And, and he wants us, part of his working in our life, is to get us to step off the edge, so to speak, and to trust him and be released to experience his power and his presence in our lives. Because I'm just convinced that there are a whole lot of us who are followers of Jesus and therefore, a whole lot of churches today that are only operating on their human capacity. And if you were to walk in and experience them, I mean, it could, it could be the Moose Lodge, all right? It's just a bunch of people getting together talking about God, but there's never any evidence of God being there in their lives. I think one of the reasons why young people today are so turned off to Christianity is because when they look at people who call themselves Christians, they don't see them other than a moral code they keep. They don't see them as really being that much different than everyone else. There's no sense of the power of God, and yet we talk about it all the time. Paul says, the Spirit of God indwells me. So what keeps you and me from realizing God's strength and God's power at work released in our lives? I want you to jot down one little phrase. It's this, fear of losing control. Fear of losing control. Now, my wife, Marcia, has tried to get me to jump out of an airplane with a parachute, and I refuse to do it because I am a control freak. And they tried to actually get me to do the bungee, and I refuse to do it because I am a control freak. Anybody else here a control freak? All right, so I make sure I wasn't alone, right? And you know how people are, they'll say, well, look, look, the odds are one in a million that the chute won't open and the emergency chute won't open, or one in a million that the bungee cord is, you know, wasn't tied properly or you're going to snap, right? I don't want to be the one in the million, see? So I'm like, I stay away from that whole scene, all right? I am a control freak and I don't feel alone. In fact, the Apostle Paul was a control freak. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders of the day. In fact, he called himself, when he was referring to his past life, as a Pharisee among Pharisees. Like, he really took the whole thing seriously. And the Pharisees were religious control freaks. They were all about trying to control religion, trying to control God, and work out in their own effort and by their own means uh, what it meant to have a relationship with God. And for, for them, that meant keeping the law. So they made a full-time job of keeping the law and all the rules and regulations they attached to it making the right sacrifices, and avoiding Gentiles like the swine flu. Stay away, as far away from them as you can. And so their whole religious thing was about self-righteousness, about proving to God that they were good enough for God to like them and want them and make him or make them his own. And they were also very judgmental of others, and they felt good about themselves by contrasting themselves to others. So we read of the story that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the, and the sinner who, you know, are standing before God. And the Pharisee says, boy, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. Aren't you impressed? And remember the, the sinner says, you know, he's beating his chest. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? 
And Jesus, who's, you know, when Jesus says, who's the guy that's really standing in the right place? It's the guy who can admit he's a sinner. And so Paul's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and have them put to death. Why? Because he views them as extremists. He views them as radicals because they say you can't have a relationship with God purely by the law. In fact, they teach that the law actually shows you how corrupt you are because nobody can keep it. And they say that having a relationship with God has nothing to do with any effort that I make or we have. But it's all about what God does through us in this thing that these Christians keep calling grace. And the grace is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that when we can repent of our sins and confess him as our savior, we automatically have a relationship with God. And Paul couldn't stand that because it was contrary to the religion that the Pharisees had kind of manufactured, a religion based on keeping the laws. We don't need a savior. The law is our savior. We need a Messiah to deliver us from Rome. We don't need a Messiah who's going to die on the cross for our sins. So he's out there to arrest them and put them to death. And on the way, he has an encounter. And we read about it in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 3. Page 777 in the Bible in the chairs there. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission to rest and have Christians put to death, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice of Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city And you'll be told what you must do. And after that experience of Paul's being ambushed and arrested by Jesus, his life is forever changed and transformed. Doesn't become a perfect person, but man, he is radically, radically transformed. And the thing that transforms and changes Paul's life and continues to have a potent effect on his life the day he dies is the very thing he had feared. Grace. The grace of God. God, that's what transforms his life. You know, I, um, I like to watch extreme sports, and I like to watch people who are involved and things like that. And I've noticed that many of them, after the first time they attempt it, whatever it is, jumping in a plane, doing bungee jumping, climbing rocks, you know, uh, free diving, whatever it is they're doing, right? Uh, snowboard, jumping, all that stuff. They get addicted to it. And they keep wanting to do it. And I, I, I have a theory why they keep wanting to do it. And it's because the, the thrill of the experience exceeds the fear of the event. In other words, it's such a thrilling, they get such a rush out of the experience. It is far greater than the fear of what could happen if something went wrong. And that's what happened to Paul. The sheer rush, the sheer thrill, the sheer joy of the experience of grace far exceeds everything else in his life. In fact, Paul will go on, and every letter he writes, every sermon he preaches, has something to do with grace. He's either promoting grace or defending grace. But it means so much to him. It affects his life. It changes his whole demeanor. Because remember, Paul was a self-righteous, proud, arrogant man before he came to grace in Christ. Paul was a man who actually stood there and may have participated in the stoning of Stephen. 
in the early church there in the book of Acts. If he didn't throw the stone, he certainly, the Bible tells us, he was standing there and assented to the fact that, that Stephen was put to death. So, I mean, Paul was a character. Paul was kind of a ruthless guy. And yet Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, confronted him with his grace and his love, and Paul realized in that moment that he could be forgiven and he could be set free. And I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul says, in the midst of all these things, he says to us in that verse, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. This grace was given me. You know, as Paul seems to carry with him this mindset, this attitude through his whole life of how blessed he is. That God would love him, that God would forgive him, that God would set him free. It's like he can't escape it. In fact, over here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And the word prisoner there is a Greek term which means to be bound and shackled. And Paul was bound and shackled in his life to Roman guards sometimes when he was under arrest. And somewhere along the line, I guess Paul must have looked at the shackle and the chain and thought to himself, oh, this is an illustration. Just like I'm bound to this guard, I am bound and shackled to Jesus. Except I'm bound and shackled to his love, to his forgiveness, and to his mercy. I, who am the least of all people, the least of all, I am bound to his love and his mercy and his grace. And Paul just couldn't get away from it. It was his rush. It was his thrill. Every day of his life, look what God has done for me. Look what God has done for me. Here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do a couple of weddings. And when the uh, couple stand before me, one important part of the ceremony is when they exchange rings. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. All right, look at your hands. Hopefully you have a wedding band. Not if not, get one. All right, I think it's important you wear it unless it's going to threaten your life somehow in terms of, you know, you'll get caught in a machine or whatever. It's an important symbol to have because you know what it represents? And, and some of you are going to laugh at this. I guess there have been jokes made about it. But it's, it's, like, it's like a lock. When, a cup, when I say, and now you may place the ring upon her or his finger, it's like it goes, and they are locked in. They are now prisoners of love. Right? Prisoners of love. Chained to love. I, here's my wedding ring. You know what that wedding ring symbolizes? It, it symbolizes the fact that I am a prisoner of my wife's love, Marcia's love. And she wears a wedding ring. It's a symbol of the fact that she's a prisoner to my love. My love's not available to anybody else except hers. And hers is not available to anybody else except me. It's a beautiful symbol. When you look at that, think about your relationship with, with God. In fact, I went out this week, did something kind of radical. I went out and bought... A little uh, cross necklace made out of two nails put together. Very simple, very rough, very rugged. And I went and I bought that because this message has been speaking so much to my own life. And I just thought, God, I need, a, I need something to remind me every day that I too, like Paul, am the least of all people. I need something every day to remind me that I am your prisoner, the prisoner of your love and your mercy. And I can't survive without it. And it's what has made the difference in my life. And every time I see it or feel it, I'm reminded, here's what he's done for me. I am a person of grace. You see, I think that's what keeps us from experiencing God's extreme in our lives, the supernatural working of God in our life. Is that, is that we who are followers of Jesus have a tendency to drift away from the fact that we've been saved by grace and we get into kind of a Pharisee mindset. We get back into thinking that we've got to earn it. 
We get back into thinking that somehow it's, 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 it's my job to make God happy. And, and God's really ticked at me because I've done some, some bad things. And, and so I've got to you know, do all the right things again for God to love me because he may not love me. And some of us have the mindset that we've been so bad that God can't love us. Some of us have the mindset that we've had it so hard in life God owes us something. All that is wrong thinking, man. You need to flush it down the toilet. And you get rid of that thinking. It has nothing to do with you, folks. If you're a follower of Jesus today, it has nothing to do with anything you said, thought, or did. Being good enough, bad enough has nothing to do with that. It's just that God looked at you, chose you, and loved you and said, I want you as my own. Is that special or not? When Jesus died on the cross, it says he died for whosoever will respond to that love. If you don't know Christ today, you just need to say, I can't do it on my own. I give up. God, I accept your grace for my life. See, now does that mean then we can go keep on sinning? Absolutely not, Paul says. God's grace captures us to free us from the prison of sin. Paul doesn't say I'm a prisoner of sin. He says I'm a prisoner of Christ. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you enthused about the grace of God in your life? Do you wake up every day and look in the mirror and go, man, that, you are a miracle. Because you don't deserve to be loved. You don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to go to heaven someday. You don't deserve knowing that God's in control of your life. It's just this gift that God has given to you. And does it just kind of stay with you, kind of like a high and a thrill every day of your life? Probably not. We get kind of overcome by life, don't we? And by our troubles and by challenges. And we begin to doubt God and we hunker down and we try to take control again. Grace is about saying, I'm not in control. God is in control. Grace is about stepping off the ledge and saying, God, you are so in control. I am so free. I can do whatever you call me to do. I have no worries. Because you're in charge of my life. I'm just going to trust you. Are you excited about God's grace today? To the degree that you're willing to humble yourself. To say, as Paul said, I am the least. To the degree that you're willing to do that, you will experience his power and his grace at work in your life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said these words. I, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He says, the old Paul is gone. It says, but Christ lives in me. That's grace. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was consumed with the fact that God loved him. On the good days and the bad days, God loved him. When he's going through trials, God loved him and God had a purpose for it. When he was on the mountaintop, God loved him. God cared about him. Do you have that awareness today? God loves you. They set you free. Has it rocked your world? And you get up every day feeling free, feeling loved, knowing there's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. Has it gotten itself down in the core of your being so it's a controlling uh, power in your life? Has it? I would say for most of us, no, it hasn't. And what I'm doing this morning is challenging you and challenging me out to say, it needs to be. Because it's what holds us back. From experiencing it, all God has for us. Can you imagine if we'd all showed up here today on a spiritual high of realizing that we are saved by grace, realizing that we're free, realizing that God loves us no matter what we said or done? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this room would be like? 
Can you imagine the collective buzz that we get out of this room? Huh? Can you imagine how fearless we would be? How excited we would be? Because when you've been really set free and you know it, what do you want to do? Tell somebody about it, right? I mean, if somebody, if you've ever had, if you've ever literally been rescued from death by somebody, a doctor, a friend, a neighbor, a, a stranger, you're about to die, and woo, they rescued you. Man, you feel good about that. You wanna, you, and you want to shout about it. And you, want, you, know, you feel beholding to that person. That's what God's done for each one of us. And we need to be excited about it. Because it's out of the excitement that we find the liberation to sit out on the ledge. Because we, we believe that and know that God has a purpose for our lives. So Paul asks a question. In the King James Version, it goes like this. In uh, Acts 9, 6, it says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Forget all the King James stuff, all right? But Paul's asked the question, what do you want me to do? In other translations, it's, it's a statement. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here's the bottom line. Whatever way your Bible reads, the issue is Paul experiences grace. The next step is, God, what's the ledge you want me to walk off of? God, what's the jump you want me to make? And God tells Paul through a prophet by the name of Ananias, and here's what he says. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the who? The Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So in essence, what God says is, Paul, I have set you free by my grace. Now I want you to jump into the Gentile world. And that was extreme, folks. That was as extreme as jumping out of a plane or on a bungee rope. Because in essence, what God was saying is, Paul, I want you to go love the people you've been trying to avoid your whole life. Paul, I want you to embrace the people that you have been speaking against and have called the scum of the earth. I want, you to go, I want you to go eat with them. I want you to hug them, embrace them. I want you, as it says here in Ephesians 3, to manage the, dis, the uh, dispensing of the message of grace to them. And Paul never complains. Isn't that weird? Peter complained. Many of the other apostles complained they had a whole church council about, really, does God want us to take grace to the Gentiles? Paul never once complains. Why? Why is Paul compelled to travel over mountains and through valleys, through cold and through hardship, to bring the message of grace to the Gentiles? Because Paul was so aware of what it had done for his life. Paul was so aware of how undeserving he was. And it's humility in our lives of realizing every day how undeserving we are that sets us free then to live out the extreme message and hope of the gospel. How are you living it out today? How is God calling you as a follower of Christ to experience his supernatural presence and power? Well, Jeremy, come out out here or up here, wherever you are. Behold, he cometh. All right? And uh, let's take you back in just a moment to your experience. Uh, you're standing on the edge there, and uh, seriously, were you, were you a little fearful? I was a lot fearful. A lot fearful? Yeah. Every time I, I, occasionally I'll be walking along, and I'll come up to a sidewalk and kind of stand on the edge of a crack. Yeah? And sort of lean a little bit, and I'll get kind of like a hot flash across my body. So yeah? That's only a slight exaggeration. It's okay. A, 
Yeah. All right, well, let's see what you did. All right, let's watch. Okay, we're all set. Put your left hand over here. Okay. Feet half on, half off that cage. Like this? Yep, arms straight out in front of you. Oh, my gosh. Arms straight out. Okay, you ready to go? Yep. Is that camera guy ready? I think so. Okay, three, two, one, one, two. That is awesome! Woohoo! That is amazing. Now the blood is going down my head. That's awesome. Oh. Whee. Can I go again? All right. So you did it, man. Yeah. You, I, wouldn't, I couldn't do that. All right. So uh, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, I mean, the stuff we've been talking about, what did you learn out of that experience? What, what did you gain out of it? Uh, as I've been thinking about this week, there are two things that I learned. Uh, the first thing was that uh, I can trust my coworkers, uh, Josh and Sarah. They, uh, well, I can most of the time trust them. They're the ones who took me three and a half hours to Wisconsin, didn't tell me until I got there. But, I don't uh, think you trust them. No, I, but I do now. <laughs> I do trust them. The, the second thing, though, is uh, um, what, what maybe you didn't hear at the beginning of the first video was, I said, hi, I'm Jeremy Acton from EFCN. I'm going to bungee for the first time, and I can't feel my feet. Well, the reason I said I can't feel my feet is um, there were four people working there that day. Three of them were some young men who it was their first day to work there, and I was the first person. And so they were, they were kind of their guinea pig, and they were trying out on me. And so um, I was kind of fearful, actually, along the fear, because these guys were turning things around the wrong way and kind of doing it wrong. Oh, you know. But at the same time, there was this one young woman who you saw in the crane going up, and she totally knew what was going on. I was like, come on, guys, you know, turn that over, you know. And that's the reason why I couldn't feel my feet. They cinched it down so hard to make it sure. But, uh, but because of her, because I grew to trust her because she obviously knew what she was going on, I was able to go and kind of come up there and go to the edge. And then because of that trust, and I actually extended her some grace too, in stepping forward, like, it, was a, it was probably one of the most phenomenal experiences of heights I've ever had. All right. I couldn't have had it unless I had trusted All right. Great. God bless you, man. Thanks. All right. Now, every one of us who have come to know Jesus by grace are standing on the edge of something. And God is saying to us, jump. Look what I've done for you. All right? You are free. You have no worries. I've taken care of you. Your salvation is intact. You are forgiven. You are set free. Now jump. Jump and trust me. What's, what's the ledge God has you on right now? Is it, is it a financial ledge where God is saying, look, I want you to tithe and trust me? Is it a vocational one where God is saying, I want you to make this change and trust me? Or is it a relational one where God is saying, I want you to love and reach out to this person and forgive them and trust me? God's got us all on a ledge if we're his followers because God is not going to let us live a whole hum controlled, safe life. Christians are supposed to be dangerous by nature because God is dangerous, right? God is radical. Read your Bibles. God is not boring. And I apologize to our young people for how we make God seem so boring. God is not boring. God is all about action, And I want to suggest to you that the edge that God, I know, has every one of us on 
This one edge I know he has all of us on is the edge whereby God wants us to take the message and the thrill of grace we've experienced in our lives and he wants us to share it with somebody else's life. Do you believe that? Ah, not all of you do. And we can say it mentally, but I think we have a hard time sometimes actually doing it. And lately in my own life, I've been really challenged by that. I've been challenged by, God, you live in me, but how am I making you known to others? It's been bothering me, and the more I've had to deal with understanding what God has done for me, I've been asking myself, if this means so much to me, how can I keep it to myself? And I've been praying, God, I want to step off the edge. You've got to open some doors for me to share you with others. And I've been praying about this for weeks. So this past week, I had a trip to Vancouver to go help a group of pastors there who are really struggling. It's a difficult, difficult place. The whole West Coast, from San Francisco all the way up to British Columbia, only 4% of the population goes to church on any given weekend, to any church, liberal, conservative, any church, and especially in Vancouver where it's very difficult. And so I had made my flight back in April, and I was supposed to leave this Tuesday, and I get an email that my, uh, actually my wife called me and said, there's an email that says your flight's been canceled. And I'm like, oh, come on. I got my agenda set to go. So I go back online again, and they've, they, without speaking to me, have put me on another flight, which wasn't bad. It gets me there two hours quicker. So I'm feeling okay, but I'm also feeling weird. I go to the airport, all right, and I have an unsettledness in my spirit because I can't, and there's no explanation for why the other flight was canceled, and, and I had my window seat on the other flight and i like sitting on the window or i like sitting on the aisle i don't like to sit in the middle because you sit in the middle you're like this right and we sit in the middle and you're trying to work you now have two people looking at everything you're doing okay (laughs) so if you're on the window you can set up a barricade and you know when you're introvert like me you're just kind of like like this right doing doing your thing okay so so i'm like oh man i got a middle seat now so I'm at the airport, and I look at the guy, and I said, are there any window seats or aisle seats available? And he puts up the map of the airplane, and there's just one seat that's become available. He goes, oh, there's 23F. I said, I'll take it. All right? So I get in my seat, 23F, and I'm thinking about all the stuff I have to do. And then all of a sudden, I just feel like God is saying to me, are you willing to pray for me to use you on this plane? And, and I'm like, well, what are you going to say, right? Yes, God, I am willing. So I sit there, and I'm thinking about who's going to sit next to me. People are coming down the aisle. And you know how it is. There are some people you hope won't sit next to you, right? Just by the way they look or just, you know, you just get a vibe or whatever. And so people are coming down. I'm like, oh, I hope it's not that one. Oh, I hope it's not this one, all right? And then, and then finally, finally this, this, this kid comes down, this young kid, about 23 years old. And he's got this big billabong hat on. He's got this wild shirt on. He's got this book with a bizarre cover on it. And... Sure enough, boom, he throws the stuff in the middle seat, jumps the stuff in the, in the thing overhead, and then he sits beside me, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get a lot of work done. I mean, there's absolutely nothing in common with this guy, man. So we're taxiing out the runway, and he pulls out a pack of gum, and he opens it up, and he goes to the person next to him, you want one? And she goes, nope. And he looks at me, he goes, you want one? I'm thinking, i got to respond. So I can't, you know, like ignore him. So I didn't want any gum, but we start this conversation, and and the conversation keeps going. And I, I learned so much about him. I learned he's from Sweden. He's 23 years old. His name is Christian. And first time out of Europe, he's going to Whistler, Canada to find a job. He's all on his own. Doesn't know anybody up there. I'm thinking, dude, you are more brave than I would be. He's into snowboarding big time. 
Hence all the, the stuff, you know, and the conversation we have. And I'm thinking, God, how do you want to use me in this conversation? Because I don't want to force you on him. And I know you don't want me to force you on him. And so at the very end, I, I don't know what else to do, but I've really gained a love in my heart for him, like a fatherly love. I'm just so concerned for him. I pull out my business card and I give it to him. And after I do it, I go, I have to get new business cards. Because it says, Evangelical Free Church in Naperville, Senior Pastor Dale Hummel. And I'm thinking the guy's freaked out. He thinks he had a Mormon sitting beside him the whole time trying to convert him or whatever, you know. And, and so I look at him and I go, I'm a pastor. And he goes, I'm not religious. And I looked at him and I said, neither am I. All right? And I, I said, I'm not. I, am not. I said, I am not in religion, man. It screws a lot of people up, all right. But I am into being a follower of Jesus. And we get on this beautiful conversation. In the midst of our conversation, we start talking about kids, and he goes, I don't think kids should be taught a religion, meaning any kind of biblical truth or anything. He said, I think kids should be free to choose their own. And I said to him, I said, but Christian, understand, kids are going to, kids don't come out neutral and just make a choice. They are going to be influenced, and they'll make a choice out of what influences them. And I said, don't, would you agree that it's important that they're influenced by the truth? And he shook his head, yes. And then I looked at him, and I said, Christian, what is the truth? What is the truth? And we had another very meaningful conversation about truth and God. And when we left the airport that day and he was filling out his custom forms, I just, I just looked at him and I said, don't forget, what is the truth? We didn't meet here by accident today. And he promised me, he's got my email, he promised me he'll stay in touch with me. I went to my hotel that night and I'm doing my prayers that evening and all of a sudden, I have this revelation come over me like, and I realize I am such a doofus. I am so dense. I had been praying and asking God for an opportunity, and I had failed to realize I had just lived through, whoo, off the edge of supernatural experience. See, I believe in the providence of God that flight got canceled that morning. My seat got changed twice that morning to 23F. Because a young man named Christian was going to come down the aisle and sit in that middle seat and God wanted a seed planted in his life. That whole thing would not have happened if I had not been thinking an awful lot lately about God's grace and what he's done for me and how I cannot keep that to myself. How about you? But the story's not over. I'm in Canada. I'm talking to my friend Barclay. He's kind of like a district superintendent. He oversees a group of churches. Small churches are struggling in that difficult environment. He says to me, Dale, I think God's calling me to go to Squamish to plant a church with another young pastor, another young couple at my side. He says, Squamish, there are 17,000 people. Less than 1,000 go to church every weekend. Less than 1,000. He says, but we have very little money and we have no encouragement because we've been disassociated from a large liberal church denomination. And I sat there listening to him and my blood starts to pump in my heart and my mind and I just go, man, oh man. I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if EFCN partnered with them and we helped plant a church in a place far away that needs the gospel so desperately in North America that we could go visit and help him maybe do some uh, uh, surveys on the street in Squamish and we could just be a part of it financially and spiritually and prayerfully and we could have a link set up on some weekend where we're saying how's it going in Squamish and he's talking live to us I thought wouldn't that be extreme? Huh? 
Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be stepping off the edge a little bit? And then last night, guess what? Man, the enemy comes in. Last night I get an email and it says, all funding for my uh, airfare to go there and help them is now cut off because of the financial situation. I was so bummed last night and bummed this morning because I love those 10 pastors who have been excommunicated from a church that is so liberal and godless because they want to stand for what's moral and truth and right and nobody wants to take them in and I just thought I was so bummed till just about five minutes ago when I started sharing this point and all of a sudden I hear God saying to me in my mind at least yep that's what the enemy's going to do he's going to try to stop that whole deal and I'm encouraged now because I think, I think God is going to come in like a flood. We'll step off the edge. See, when you let God's grace consume your heart and your soul, when you say, God, you've done so much for me, and you say, God, I want to be used by you, then God just God says, jump! It'll be okay. I will work in your midst to do wonderful and powerful things. Amen. God is a God of grace, isn't he? Are you glad God loves you this morning? You glad God set you free? Huh? We ought to be. And I think we ought to celebrate, don't you? So let's get on our feet again and let's sing. Let's actually celebrate and this time. Let's worship God with passion because we are a people of grace. Amen?